From the International Labour Organization in Geneva, Switzerland, this is the Future of Work podcast. I'm Anders Johnson, here to talk today about universal basic income. How would you react to being given money every month to spend in any way you want, with no strings attached? Would you save it, spend it, invest it, and if so, on what? Would you use it to make your life better, or that of your family or community? That's the basic idea behind universal basic income, where a government or institution gives citizens a set amount of money on a regular basis, in the hope of alleviating poverty or replacing other social programs that potentially require more bureaucratic involvement. In a world with continued or even rising unemployment and inequality, with fears of automation and artificial intelligence replacing workers, or where pandemics or other catastrophes limit people's ability to work, this direct payment to citizens is being increasingly mentioned as a possible solution. So far, so good. But what are the unintended consequences of such cash transfers? What happens when good intentions meet the real world? To discuss this, I'm excited to have with us Lauren De Filippo, co-director of the documentary Free Money, which chronicles five years in the lives of residents in the village of Kogutu in Kenya, where an experiment is being carried out that involves handing out money for free as part of the world's largest universal basic income project. It's a fascinating and very real story filled with the unexpected, and I can't wait to talk about it. So, Lauren, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. First things first, uh, as you see it, what is universal basic income all about? So universal basic income, um, you know, as you described, is really a payment that can be relied upon, whether it's uh, monthly, um, bi-monthly, you know, on a certain schedule period. So people can feel as though it's guaranteed and they can expect and plan on having that money. And um, it is an amount of cash with no strings attached. So there are no conditions to what people have to do with the money. They can spend it on whatever they would like. There's no means testing. Uh, It really is sort of cash that is just going out to people on a regular basis with the intention of covering their basic needs. Now, Lauren, you're a documentary filmmaker based in New York. So what drew you to this issue and and inspired you to tell this story? Sure. So I um, first heard about this project, uh, this big experiment in UBI that this organization called Give Directly um, was running in in Africa, primarily in Kenya um, and in Uganda, from a New York Times article. Um, In the New York Times magazine, a writer named Annie Lowry profiled the first village that was receiving this money. Um, They had done it as a lump sum. And so it was kind of just everyone in this village was receiving $1,000 and Give Directly was going to see what people did with it and report back. And um, through that article, I learned that Give Directly was working on a much bigger project, a follow-up that would last 12 years and would be kind of the, the largest and longest experiment in UBI to date. And so, um, you know, I was able to uh, gain access to the experiment and to Give Directly and um, began filming in, in one of the villages that was a part of the 12-year experiment. You know, that being said, it was just a really interesting moment 
moment in time. I, it was around, um, I would say like 2016 when this all began. And it was before people, um, at least in the U.S., were really talking about UBI. You know, basic income became a bigger part of the conversation with Andrew Yang's run for president here. And then also, you know, during COVID with the stimulus packages and just the cash that was given by the federal government. And so it was sort of this much more niche conversation that was just really bubbling specifically among people in Silicon Valley. And so I was very interested in kind of why the people who were, you know, potentially designing the AI that was going to put us all out of work were also so interested in, in UBI as a potential solution. Your co-director is Sam Soko, a Kenyan filmmaker. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about how he got involved in the film? So I, um, with my um, partner at Insignia Films, that's based here in New York, um, we were able to get access to Give Directly, as I said. And so I went and I started filming in the village as Give Directly arrived and they, you know, rolled out the experiment and were, were enrolling people to be involved. And I quickly realized that as a white American, uh, I was out of my depths in a rural Kenyan village. And I really wanted to tell the story from both sides. I wanted to tell it from the people who were doing the experimenting at Give Directly and their perspective. And I wanted to tell it from the recipient side in, in really an authentic way. And so I realized that in order to do that, I needed a Kenyan collaborator and I had heard about Sam Soko just through our kind of shared doc community. Um, he had made a wonderful film called Softy about a Kenyan journalist that I really admired. And so I reached out and um, we had a number of conversations. Soko was skeptical about the whole thing from the start, you know, giving people money. How is that going to work? This NGO coming in. Um, and so, you know, after after much conversation and, and Soko going to visit the village himself, he decided to sign on and we continued making the film together for, you know, it took us a total of five years. One of the things that struck me, you know, personally was this idea of, of Westerners, you know, once again, experimenting on Kenyans, mm -hmm. uh, especially poor and vulnerable ones. I know that this is something that you, you as well sort of felt this reaction to it. So, so can you tell me a little bit more about it? Yeah. So, you know, this was something that I, I kind of went into the project also um, curious and with my own skepticism about. And it was really through conversation with Soko that I gained that kind of Kenyan and African context for it all. And, um, you know, one of the things I'll never forget is um, Soko saying to me, you know, in the U.S., you have you have an opioid epidemic, right? In in here in Kenya and Africa, we have an NGO epidemic. <laughs> we have this problem where organizations come in, they make promises, they um, really play on people's hopes and kind of fantasies for themselves. Um, and, and in the end, there's really no accountability for these organizations and there's no place where if a recipient does have a problem, they can go for help. And, um, it's just so ingrained into the political system in, in Kenya. And so that was just really fascinating for me as an outsider coming into all of this and something that really became, um, a bigger part of the film as we continue to follow recipients' lives and how an organization like GiveDirectly engages with them. 
Now, cash transfers have a very strong track record around the world in reducing poverty. So, so what's the difference between what I would maybe say more traditional cash transfer methods and UBI in, in this situation? Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting that you say they have a good track record because they do. And I feel like anybody who spends any time kind of with the studies or with the research, it, it becomes quite clear that cash transfers are a pretty successful intervention overall. That being said, I think that there's just still this real cultural stigma to giving people cash. And so we kind of continue to do these studies and these experiments over and over again to prove to the skeptics that this is a good idea. And I think, you know, that's kind of the... <laughs> We're, we're hitting the threshold of that, or I would like to think where the evidence is there. And I do think that GiveDirectly's experiment has will go on to provide more data in that space that hopefully will help change hearts and minds. But I think it's just still is something that the public at large has a hard time really understanding. And so just this being such a massive experiment in an intervention like this, you know, hopefully it will make a dent. Yeah, the flip side of that seems also to be kind of true, you know. So one of the things that surprised me when I first saw the documentary is how many people were actually reluctant to accept free money. I mean, is this something that you were expecting? Um, you know, at first I, I was a little shocked. Um, but I think when you kind of put it in perspective, uh, you know, it's basically someone knocking on your door and saying, I'm going to give you free money every month for the next 12 years. It's going to double your average income. I mean, you would be skeptical too. It would be hard to imagine that. And I think um, that's precisely what was happening here. People just couldn't believe that there wasn't something that would be um, asked for in exchange. And so I think the skepticism was a healthy one. And um, it was just something that we definitely wanted to highlight in the film that people just kind of weren't coming at this with open arms saying, yes, let's go for it. They definitely had their, their good questions as well. We hadn't actually sort of mentioned this before, but can you put the sort of the actual number into perspective? I mean, what does $22 a month represent in the village of uh, Kogutu? So it's quite a big sum of money. Um, it really is about double, double what they make on average a month. So it's significant for them. And it also is even more significant in that it's going to every member of the family who's over 18. So, um, you know, this is a very kind of traditional patriarchal society. And so this was the first time kind of a lot of women were receiving their own income um, that was separate from their husbands. You know, everyone gets their own cell phone and these come as mobile um, payments on, on their phones. And so it, you know, potentially provides kind of independence, I think, to to women like never before and and also like younger adults in a way. In, in a place like Kagutu, it kind of provided this new sense of autonomy that I don't think has really been seen before. Yeah, it's, it's a good thing you brought that up because this reminds me of there's these scenes, you know, particularly early on where the men in the village are expressing their fears that their wives might leave them after receiving, you know, their own money mm -hmm. uh, or that it will be harder for them to manage their families. Uh, when marginalized groups are empowered, be they women or youth, how do people really respond? I mean, what did you see happen? 
I think that's when you have to watch the film to to watch it, see what happens. Um, I can just say it was a very big source of anxiety for the men in the village. And I think something that also kind of the the women were talking about in amongst themselves of like, what are we going to do with this newfound independence or newfound kind of sense of empowerment? And so I think that it's you know, it is something that we um, follow in the film. And frankly, I think the jury's still out. You know, the experiment is continuing for another six years. And so I think it's going to be very interesting to see the lasting impact on relationships overall. Now, tell me a little bit about uh, Larry Madoa, who's who's in the documentary. I mean, because he was one of my favorite things about watching it. Um, how did he get involved? Larry um, was you know, came about because of uh, Soko. Um, he had worked with Soko a little bit on Soko's previous film. And so he had, he had known about Larry. And so for listeners who don't know Larry Madoo, he is Kenyan himself, um, but he works internationally as a journalist. Um, currently, he's an international correspondent with CNN. And so he is a celebrity in Kenya. You know, I've been around the streets of Nairobi with with Larry and just everyone stops him. And so he's a very big name there, a very trusted um, person and face. And so we went to Larry as someone who kind of has looked deeply and studied deeply um, the relationship of NGOs in a lot of different African context. And um, we just wanted to get his opinion. And Larry, you know, voiced some skepticism and decided that he wanted to learn more and essentially came along with us on this ride of, um, of, of watching this village grow and change and also really kind of putting a magnifying glass up to give directly as an organization and how they were working within the village as, as the, you know, American outsiders coming in. And, um, yeah, he, he gives, he gives a very great and, and well-needed perspective to the film. Something that really struck me, uh, while watching your film is that it seems at, at least to me to be pretty even handed. I mean, it shows both the good and the bad, the upsides and the downsides of, of something like UBI, uh, particularly in this you know, African context. Uh, was this a conscious decision at the start, um, in effect, to not take a side in this debate? Yeah, you know, I think that we, um, you know, ultimately we, we see a UBI as a, as a pretty positive thing overall. We see positive impacts to the village, I would say. We really wanted to tell a story that was from the recipient's perspective. And so I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of stories out there where, at least in, in my world, where kind of the, the organization comes in and we see all the benefits they bring to a place that is poor and a poor population. And we kind of all just like celebrate and then walk away. And, um, you know, that isn't the case in this film. And I think we get to see, um, we get to see more in depth what it is really like from a person on the other side who is receiving something like a UBI um, in this in this sense and and how it really impacts their lives in a deeper more authentic way and so that was really our goal in making this film was to provide sort of that window and that um, I think that experience overall 
You alluded to this earlier, but this idea that there's a lot of people, especially in developed countries, who are very much against the idea of UBI and think that either it will never work or it will cause people to stop working entirely. Uh, and then during COVID, mm -hmm. we experienced what was probably the biggest ever experiment in UBI with many countries in effect paying their citizens uh, regardless of whether they were working or not. So these uh, massive cash transfers uh, to provide that kind of social safety net uh, that helped, obviously, to, to reduce the stress and the anxiety that populations felt, to keep them safe, to keep them at home, uh, to keep them able to function. Have you therefore seen a difference in how people talk about UBI and, and, and their reactions to your film uh, after COVID? Yeah, I mean, it was a real turning point for us in making the film. Um, I think, you know, as I was saying before, it, it really did seem kind of like this niche conversation that suddenly blew up with COVID and suddenly everyone can understand in this way that they previously couldn't, right? It, it kind of seemed as though we were having a conversation about poor Africans that didn't apply to them. And then suddenly everyone in the US needed some form of stimulus and protection and everyone in Europe needed that. And it just became obviously a global phenomenon. And so I think it really kind of was this very unique event where people got to put themselves in someone else's shoes and, and kind of see it in a new light. And yeah, I think that it has, it has really changed the conversation and I think the possibility of a UBI being embraced in a bigger way. Now, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but was there anything else that uh, ended up surprising you or, or challenging your preconceptions as you made this film? Yeah, well, as I said, there was a lot for me to learn about NGOs in Africa. And so a lot of that really did surprise and challenge me in, in terms of the story we were telling. Um, but then I also think in terms of the UBI itself, going through the experience of the pandemic with the village um, was very interesting. Um, just seeing, I think, on a base level in terms of the effectiveness of a UBI, you know, we finally, would, after lockdown and this and that, we were finally able to get back to the village to continue filming um, as the pandemic wore on. And the level of security that the people had in the village versus the their neighbors was was very apparent. You know, um, people were kind of, were honestly continuing to thrive, I would say. You know, one of our main characters was able to buy some cows and extend her farm. And, you know, people were continuing to just kind of live their lives and go on, whereas their neighbors were just really in a, in a bad place with a lot of anxiety and a lot of very real hard problems to deal with on a daily basis. Um, you know, we're literally eating every day as a challenge. And so um, I think to see the effectiveness of cash and of a UBI in that context was really surprising and kind of just an amazing window into something that we got to experience. Is it fair to say, uh, in your opinion, that the concept of universal basic income has proven itself, but that the devil is in the details, and that what we need to ensure is that the implementation takes into account the specific local context, the specific you know local needs, that you know it, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution? Yeah, exactly. I think that that was our biggest takeaway from making this film. You know, if we are going to embrace the UBI, which does seem like a positive 
piece of the puzzle, right? I don't think it is the silver bullet to solving poverty, but I think it's certainly one effective measure that should be embraced more and more if we're going to continue to live in a capitalistic society, which it seems like we're all on track to do. Um, I think then it really comes down to who's implementing the UBI and what can a program like that look like. And yeah, it does seem to be kind of by a case by case, country by country uh, basis. Finally, uh, what's next? Uh, the experiment is supposed to go on for a, a total of 12 years, uh, and your film only covers the first five. So are, are you planning to continue telling this story? Yes, um, we are. We see free money as um, as a piece of a larger project. Um, and we, I have to say, we're continuing to figure out exactly what the bigger piece of it all really is, but um, we may have a follow-up film or some other kind of series that looks at different facets of UBI and that hopefully continues to track what's happening in Kagutu. I, I, you know, I think the really interesting thing will be, yes, this experiment is 12 years, but what does this village look like in 14 years, right, after Give Directly has left, and we can really see the effects um, for better or for worse of what this money has done. And um, so, yes, we are hoping to continue on and that this is kind of just the first part. Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. And I know that we could definitely keep this conversation going for much longer. There's so much to cover because it's a really great story. Uh, So if people, if our audience want to watch Free Money, where can they do so? Sure. So uh, we are still continuing to figure out its distribution worldwide. If you're on the continent of Africa, it is available on Netflix now to stream. Um, in the UK, it's available for uh, to buy or for rent on Amazon or iTunes. And um, we're continuing to figure out the distribution for the rest of Europe and, and the US and the rest of the world, essentially. So just beginning to roll it out now, but hopefully uh, more to come soon. Thank you so much, Lauren. Uh, so for our listeners, that was Lauren Filippo, documentary filmmaker and partner at Insignia Films in New York City and co-director, along with Sam Soko, of Free Money, which I can highly recommend. So please, if you're listening to us, go and check it out. I assure you that you're going to enjoy it. But for now, that's goodbye from Geneva. And I hope you'll join us again for the next episode of the Future of Work podcast.